So, uh, we're uh, continuing on in the book of John, right? We've been here for quite some time. I think this is like the 36th week or something like that. In the book of John, we've got quite a bit more to go, but we're taking our time. We're just traveling through. Uh, and so, today, I will say this. Um, I said this last week. I'll say it again now. Like, this is the jam right here. John 13, 31 to 35, like middle of the book, and God gives some amazing instruction right here. This is on my living room wall, this verse that we're talking about right now. So to say that I'm excited about it might be a little undersell. Uh, I am excited about it, so um, I hope that you brought cushions for your chairs today, because we're going to be here a little bit. Um, so, if you, let me remind everybody, we are in John, and at the end of John, John puts before us the purpose of the book of John, and he says this in verse 31 of chapter 20. He says, believe, so that we might believe, all these things were written, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so, these things are written for us to have life, not death. These things are written for us so that we may believe that Jesus is Messiah, the Christ, the promised one to come of the Old Testament. That's what this is all about. And so everything we talk about in the book of John falls underneath that umbrella. And as we do, let me ask you this simple question today to open us. If you could point to one thing that summarizes the Christian life, what would it be? If you were discipling someone to the cross and in Jesus, and my hope is that you are, if you're discipling someone, where would you start to explain the beauty and the nature and, and the requirements of our God? Where would you go to, to describe that? You could go a lot of different places, but we get kind of overwhelmed. We start to think about, man, I'm gonna explain my faith to someone else until we back it up and go, man, Jesus summarized it all in these two verses, 34 and 35. So for us, my hope, and I truly believe that today's passage is the key that unlocks the Christian life. If you think that the Christian life is complex or burdensome or difficult, I, my prayer today is that you see something beautiful and something simple. Not easy, don't, don't hear me say easy, but simple. So truly, I, I don't use this language very often, but I do believe that there is a, a combination here that God is unlocking for us to see how simple Christian living can be. Most of us have, or many of us have made the Christian life to be a life of duty and not delight. A life of law, if not Old Testament law, another law that we've created and not liberty. A life of failure and not of freedom. God has come to make these things new for us in his son, Jesus. So I would say this, like if you've ever lived the Christian life and it's become too difficult, or you just simply kind of want to give up because there's too many regulations, or there's too many rules, or there's too many complexities, and I don't know all the, all the rules here, uh, man, Jesus is going to make this super simple for us because he is going to summarize the entire Christian ethic in two verses. This is what makes a Christian a Christian today, very specifically. So before we get into all that, let me set the stage as John sets the stage. If you will remember, uh, Jesus is around the, the table for the final time, and he has just washed his disciples' feet. He has just dismissed Judas into the dark, if you'll remember. And with Judas, he dismissed his ultimate adversary, which was Satan. And he could have stopped all the evil that was about 
to go down, but instead he, he allows it to go down because there's a greater will that will be done upon the earth. Not Jesus's will, but the Father's will. That's what he will eventually start to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if there's any other way, Father, but he knows there's no other way. And the Bible says in verse 30 that it was night. And then 31, what happens? And when he'd gone out, that's Judas along with Satan. And when they'd gone out, all of a sudden Jesus starts to reveal to them that the Son of Man is about to be glorified. I want you, if you don't hear anything from me, uh, for the next five minutes, I want you to hear this. Even though there is darkness, God is going to be glorified. Even though there might be night in your heart or in your life, the Lord will be glorified. He will use the night to bring the day. It's what he does. So before we get into anything else, any explanation as to what we're going on here, or what's going on here, I want you to just hear that simple truth. If you are going into darkness, God is going to be glorified through that situation. Even the, the darkest night upon the earth, which was when Jesus did all that he did for our sake, God was glorified in the greatest way. But Jesus is specific in what he's about to get into. He starts to refer to this title of this son of man. And it brings us back, it alludes, if we, were, if we were Jewish at all in our thinking, we would be alluding back to Daniel 7, which says this. This son of man about to be glorified. Look at what uh, one, of visions, one of the visions that Daniel had uh, when he was in exile. It says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. You could read that as the father and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Does this sound familiar? That all peoples, not just the Israelites, all peoples, all nations, all languages should, ser should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's the kingdom that we live in, one that will not be destroyed. So in the midst of night, in the midst of darkness, Jesus is starting to allude to this kingdom where the Son of Man is going to be glorified, where nothing will defeat. And they're going to need to draw upon that because it's going to look like defeat coming up. So Judas was waiting these last three years for this Son of Man to be glorified. He was waiting for the Messiah to now be raised up to conquer an empire and a dictator. And instead, Jesus says, now is the Son of Man going to be glorified, not to conquer an empire, an empire, but evil, not to conquer a dictator, but death itself. And then he enters into this new command, this new command of loving one another. And if you're anything like me, you read that and you go, okay, I don't think that's new. Why did Jesus say that that's new? Loving one another was all throughout the Bible. Why is now Jesus talking about something that's new and yet old? First thing I want to just clarify is we look at these texts, especially this first part, it's, there's going to be some familiarity to this. But at the same time, I hope that you can see it with fresh eyes, with greater clarity after today. Because the first thing I want you to see is that this new love is not that. It's not what you have in your mind. It sounds like what you have in your mind, but it's not that. This is not that. 
At first glance, Jesus' command isn't new at all. It's a reiteration of an old law, which Jesus rightly answered as the greatest commandment. If you've got your Bible, turn with me just to the left of Matthew 22. If you don't have a Bible, it's on your app. Click out of where you're at and go back to Matthew 22. We're going to do a little study in here. It's important. We've got to deconstruct what we now want to see God reconstruct. Matthew 22, right? In 34 through 39. So there's this, uh, there's a testing going on. There's an examination going on. Basically, it goes down like this. That, that uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are going to Jesus, and they want to know if Rabbi Jesus knows what he's talking about. Okay, and so they start to test him a little bit. And so the Sadducees go first, and they start to test him about resurrection. And then 34 comes in, and it says this. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. I think there's a lot of irony in that and a little bit of funny in that, that a lawyer is approaching him to ask a question, not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he knows the answer, and he wants to know if Jesus knows the answer. Sounds like no lawyers I know. Verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, here's the temptation for us, is that we're gonna look at what we just read which is really a, a quote out of Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. And we're going to be tempted to think that that is this, that Matthew 22 is John 13. But in fact, they're miles apart. So Deuteronomy 6 says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and strength, um, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Leviticus 19 would end this way, but you shall love, the Lord, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. He's, he's pulling together two laws to summarize all of the law, all 613 laws, and all the prophets. And he said, look, all of what you know, Pharisees, can be summarized in love God and love others. Love that goes up, worship, love that goes out, affection. Everything can be summarized in those two things. That's what was old. This old law was moral. It was a love that was defined as worship through obedience to the law. But it is, this is why we call it the Old Testament. There's something different here. And before I get to that, we will unpack that in just a moment. The Old Testament law was given by God's by God to humans so that we would be a morally righteous people, both before God and before humans. It was moral for us to love other people. That's what this really was all given for. The resources then from which to draw to love others was you. I want you to just see this. Old Testament law does this. Command from God to humans to love him and love others. Okay, command from God to humans to love God and love others. The resources from which you have to draw from are you. You are limited to a very human understanding and a human ability to actually obey the law of up and out. You are limited in this way. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8 that the law was weakened by human ability. It was weakened by the flesh. We're not under the law anymore. Jesus came to abolish, uh, excuse me, not to abolish the law, but to 
fulfill the law. See, he quotes right here of, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. But do we really love God with all of our heart? Do we really love God with all of our mind? We could just take an inventory of this morning and realize that we are in, like, we're not capable of obeying even the simplest of commands. Well, it's no wonder that Jesus came to give us something new. You see, to love God from your human limited resources and power is to live without any resources and power at all. So Christians, hear me now. See, this is on every website not every, but lots of websites for churches. This is on all of our signs as we leave our building, go love God and go love others. And I don't think that's bad. I think we should love our neighbors as ourselves. That's a beautiful thing to center your life around. But the Christian ethic is something different. We love God. We love others. Yes, absolutely. But there's something so much more that God has for us. See, this is Old Testament. It is good, it is moral, it is right, it is beautiful, and yet it is insufficient. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said, I've got something new to give you. He would have just reiterated what we have already known. So to orient your lives around these two commands of loving God and loving others is to reorient our lives around law, around grace, not grace, but duty and not delight. And dare I say this, friends, that the, one of the greatest problems with Christianity is that we prefer the law. We prefer the law because it's controllable, it's manageable. I can look back on my week and be like, yes, nailed it. Until we start to read the details of the law and it says all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And then I go, man, I don't know if I like that law, so let me just cut out the law. Yeah, man, just love God and love others. We're gonna do that, man, we're good. And so we, we create a new law that we can actually adhere to and now we're, we're succeeding at the wrong thing. We're succeeding at a law that we've created in our own minds instead of realizing the failure to God's law only leads us to dependence upon God's grace. I hope you're following me here because this is important. So this is why many are tired, right? This is why my, my many are, are burning out in Christianity. This is why many are, are trying Christianity in the church and then walking away after a season and being like, yeah, I tried all that, man. It just doesn't work. Because we're dipping our toes into something that God never intended for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Instead, Romans 7, 6 would say this, but now we are released from the law. Romans 7, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. There's something different here that Jesus is inviting us into. What is it? I can summarize it in two simple things. And it goes like this. It's just very simple for me to remember this over and over and over again, that just as he so shall we. Just as he, so shall we. And so we're gonna, gonna just dig into the just as he part. How did he love us in verse 34, right? If we get back into John and we turn back over to how he has actually loved us, this is what he says, there's 34, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Just as he. How is it that he has loved us? 
Well, the old resources of love, finding that, those resources in yourself, have proven to be insufficient. So if you start with God and he gives you a command and then you basically have your own resources to obey him and to obey others, that's pretty limited in its scope on how we can actually obey. But this is the old way. You start with you, you hear God's command, and then you grit. You push. You, 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 are, you make every effort to do, just be good, don't you? I mean, this is what a lot of us have boiled Christianity down to, is that you just, you just keep the rules. If you could just learn the rules, keep the rules, all will be well. Except it won't be well. Because we were never called to be rule followers. But instead to be Jesus followers. See, that's instead law and religion, and what God is giving us is something new and something way better. See, the old way is looking at what you should do because the law says to do it, much like a speed limit, and then you do your best, knowing full well as soon as you get in that car, you're gonna break that law. That's what the Old Testament law is like. There's a speed limit out there, and you know it's there, but you don't care because the culture around you says 10 over is pretty good. Like, that feels good. 11 over, you're pushing it. 10 over, all right. I'm giving you too much of my own driving habits. I can see that. <laughs> Never mind. Don't mind me. I'm just passing you on the left lane. <laughs> but this is not the old covenant, right? The old covenant was this. Do this, and you purpose to do it, and when you failed, you brought your sacrifices to the temple. That's like the summary of it. But this is something much better. This is what the Bible says a new covenant is here for us. Ezekiel 36, we just read it. I want you to see why we read it. I will sprinkle clean water on you. All of Ezekiel is this rebellion breaking out in Israel and God calling out to Israel through his prophet Ezekiel, repent, repent, repent. Oh, but you would not repent. And so in the end, he's like, you know what? You're not going to repent, so something different has to happen. Your operating system has to change. It, it doesn't work. It's broken. I'm tempted to make a PC, an Apple joke, but I will lose half of you. But your operating system is broken. It's done. It doesn't work. It needs to be replaced. Your heart has to go, and I gotta put my heart in you. That's what Ezekiel 36 is saying. I will sprinkle clean water on you, 25, and you shall be clean. Isn't that a great promise? You will be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. What a beautiful promise. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, moldable, malleable. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you, oh, oh, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the old way is like, for all those that just came back from South Asia, you, you've seen this. The old way is like a well, that you gotta go to again and again and again to fill up your bucket and bring it to the house and do whatever you need to do it with, whether it be to bathe or whether it be to boil water to cook with or whatever you gotta do, that's the old way. You go back to that well again and again and again and again, and it's exhausting. The new covenant is city water. Most of us don't even realize like how beautiful city water is. The new covenant is city water. You go to the sink and you turn it on and it flows. That's beautiful. 
And so simple for us. I pray that every time you go and wash the dishes dishes this week, you would be reminded of the never-ending supply of grace that God has given you. That you don't have to go somewhere for some regulation or, or just hike across the countryside like we've done in South Asia. But instead, it is fully accessible for us right there in the middle of our house and in every room of our house just about. This pipeline of God's love for us is not something that's stagnant in some well that we have to then dis, like decontaminate. Instead, it is living, ready to be tapped into, available for all. So if this is Jesus' love and this is his new resource, now all of a sudden we're not resourced in ourselves or this old well. Now the resources come to us and we have a never-ending supply of resource from which to love other people. How the heck does that even work? See, this is not that. And just as he loved us, so will we love others. So then, how has he loved us? If you're ready for me to like blow a gasket, it's about to come. How has he loved us? See, the usual application from this is that he washed our feet, that he stooped, that he served, that he washed Judas's feet. He washed Peter's feet, this betrayer and this denier. He washed all the other disciples' feet that they would desert him at the cross, everyone except for John. Those are the kinds of people that he, he loved. So his, his love knows no bounds, the kind of people that he loved, but how is it truly that Jesus has loved us? Well, turn with me to Ephesians 1, just to the right. There's no greater summary than Ephesians 1, just as to how God has loved us. So if you've got your Bible, go to the right. Ephesians 1, chapter 3. I'm sorry, verse 3, chapter 1. My bad. Chapter three, verse one, Ephesians. You wanna know how God has loved you? So this is the command, right? Just as he loved us, so then how has God loved us? If we're gonna get resources, if we're gonna get fuel to actually obey Jesus in this new command, that this is the thing that would make us distinct for the world, how is it that he loved us? If he loved us, that's our resource, then what do we need to do? We need to discover how it is that he's loved us. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Oh, here we go. Even as he chose us, first blessing, he chose us. He brought us in. It was his choice to bring us into the kingdom, into his family, in him. When did he do that? Well, we talked about this last week with Angie who got baptized. The culmination of a story that's been written from before the foundation of the world, we got to witness last week. That's no small thing, y'all. That God has been writing her name in his heart from eternity past and yours too. In him, before the foundation of the world, I was the guy in seminary where I raised my hand. I said, so like, when he says before the foundation of the world, like, give me like a thing. He goes, before the foundation of the world. (laughs) Got it. I appreciate you clarifying that. That we should be holy. That's right. Perfect in God's sight. Blameless before him. Fully forgiven. That when he said it is finished, it is finished. We don't have to earn anything because we can't. Remember, he, he chose us. We we don't even want to earn anything, much less if we could. 
in love. This is a loving thing that he would predestine us, therefore bring us in before the foundation of the world to bring us in to his family. In love he predestined us. For what? For adoption. That's right. We were orphans. We're gonna sing about it in response in just a few minutes. Maybe more than a few minutes. We were orphans. We were brought into this family of God, brought in for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to whose purpose? To God's purpose of his will, not my will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us. He has blessed us in the beloved. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption. That word redemption means he has purchased us from our old owner of of sin and death and Satan, and he's fully paid for us to bring us into a new household where we can serve him. That's what Ezekiel just talked about. We have redemption purchased through the blood, the forgiveness, again, he wants us to know that we're forgiven, of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. They never run dry. They're rich. He's so rich in grace that he's pouring it out for everyone right now, which he lavished upon us. He didn't just like paint us a little bit. He just dumped the bucket of grace on us. He lavished us with it. In all wisdom, that was a wise thing for him to do, and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Thank God, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. It keeps going, and so will I. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things. We're united, reconciled. Things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. There's something stored up for us. In Christ, you have nothing apart from him, but there is an inheritance in him. Look at what he keeps on saying. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. Oh, he works all things? All things. In suffering and in good times, in evil and in beautiful things. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, more good news, you were sealed. You can't lose it. You can't just be bad enough to unearn this stuff. This beautiful God that we have. You didn't earn it. Therefore, you can't unearn it. He has sealed you, not just with ownership, but with like a purity that you will never unearn. The promised Holy Spirit. He didn't leave us as orphans, which is like all of John 14. Instead, he gave us the Holy Spirit to live in us. And who is the Holy Spirit? He is the guarantee. We don't have to wonder on whether or not we're gonna make it. We're not gonna have to wonder if whether or not we knock on heaven's door and if Peter will be like, I'm sorry, I don't have you on the roster. (laughs) It's not gonna happen. We have a guarantee of an inheritance uh, that we will acquire, uh, excuse me, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And I'm not done. Because that's not to mention these. He was the incarnation. He became one in us. He called us by his Holy Spirit. He wooed us into a relationship with him before we even knew he was doing it. He was sneaky. And he was purposeful when he wooed us and called us. He regenerated us. He caused us to be born again. He gave us the gift of conversion, of repentance and faith. Changing your mind about who you think God is and who you think you are. You're not good enough for him and said he's good enough for you. You repent of that and then you put your faith in the gospel that we're 
evil and dead and bad, and God came for us, just like Stephen said, on our worst day to bring us into the family, to regenerate us, redeem us, and bring us into the family of God. Not only that, he's given us that gift of conversion. He has given us a propitiation, a full payment for you to satisfy the Father's wrath. He has then expiated your sin. He has sent your sin away. It's not near you anymore. He's reconciled you, exchanged a hostile relationship with you to a friendly one. He has sanctified you, made you holy over your entire life in a way that comes through pain and failure. Don't fake it through sanctification. It won't work. You've got to admit that you're messed up and jacked up so you can believe again and again upon the Son of God. Not only did he sanctify you, he is now interceding for you at the Father's hand. The king of the universe is thinking about you right now, wondering and praying for you that you would get this. He continues on. He will resurrect you. Yes, you will die unless he comes back. And the great promise is not that he will keep you from that. The great promise is that he will take you through that and resurrect you for all time. And in that all time, he will glorify you. He will give you a perfect body without sin without pain, without the effects of death. And you, my friends, along with me, we will live and we will reign forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth, along with our big bro Jesus, who satisfied God for us and brought all this into our existence, made all this possible. All right, now I'm done. If you're overwhelmed by this, good. The love of God should overwhelm you. Love of God should compel you to live differently. Just as I have loved you like that. Don't tell me you can't. Look at what he's done for you. Look at all the things that he's done for you. You can't love your neighbor? Sure you can. Did he not go out of his way to come for you? Surely you can go out of your way for your neighbor. Don't tell me you can't go to work and work for the glory of God. Sure you can. Of course you can. Look at what God has done for you. So this resource now, all of a sudden, old, your resource was you. New, resource is Jesus. For just as I have loved you. How has he loved us? I can't go into all that again. We'll be here again. Oh my gosh, the grace upon grace upon grace upon grace that he has given us. The riches are immeasurable and the resources are unending. We must remember again and again how deep and wide and high is the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's why we're doing communion today. It's God's way of saying, remember what I've done for you. Come to the table. Remember again and again the forgiveness that you didn't earn. Remember again and again that you didn't earn good standing in me because you followed rules, because you gave enough, because you attended enough because you did X, whatever you prefer, whatever you're really good at, you didn't do that enough. Just as he has loved us, so shall we love others. 34 and 35. New commandment, it's a new commandment. You see the newness now? It's not Old Testament law where the resources are you, the New Testament, the new covenant, law of love, just as I have loved you. No longer love God, love neighbor. That is still in play. I don't want you to think you walk out of here and you go, well, I guess I don't have to love God and love neighbor. No, no, love God and love neighbor, but just not with your resources. 
Love God and love neighbor through the resources that Jesus has provided for you. Now you just tap in to the living water and you love. Still in play. I don't want you to walk out and be like, I guess I don't have to love God and love neighbor. Nope, not what I'm saying. Very clearly, love God, love neighbor. Just not from your own resource, from the resources which God has provided. So now, how do we do that? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you and you also are to love one another. By this, by this kind of love, all people, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love, this kind of love, for one another. So we just went through all that. How has Jesus loved us? And then he says, now just like that, love other people. And yes, there's a standard to that, that there's a, an unending grace that God gives us in his love for us. But I think he's answering more of the how. It's like, how do I actually do that? Like, upon what resources do I need to draw or can I draw for this? Because the answer is, like, who do we love? It's, well, it's without limit of time, without limit of convenience, without limit of place, or without limit of excuse. And some of the limits and excuses that we use to withhold this kind of love, which Jesus freely gives to us, is that we use human standards and resources for love. And here's what I mean by that. We look at each other for the standard, and we say, well, I mean, this is how you loved me, so I'll just love you that way. You guys see this in your own life? Well, I mean... You know, there's just some, at some point my patience runs out for my kids because they just won't listen. We've, we've, we've probably said that this week. I have said that this week. And yet God is saying, you know, your patience can't run out for them because your patience, the resources for your patience shouldn't be whether or not they listen. It's on what God gives you. Oh man, that's a new love. That's a different standard. That's a different limitation as in there aren't any. So when we look at each other for the standard, we are limited to loving those who love us in the way that they love us. You see this in like thank you card culture, which is good culture. But you see this, right? We get a gift and we're like, oh man, I just I gotta write that thank you note. You've been given something and you want to pay them back. And that's a good thing. That's a right thing. But instead of having that should on us, what would happen if we had a new resource of love for us? So here's the heart of all issues from our marriages to our work ethic to our parenting to our generosity. So I'm just gonna hit on several of these for us. If the resources that God has given us are endless in supply and unlimited in how it has gotten done for us, I, there's nothing else I don't think that God has done for us that I haven't listed here. I mean, there probably is more, but it's pretty good. So if we have those resources, how is it that we will engage our marriage? How is it that we'll engage our marriage? Are we going to use the love languages as some kind of tool for manipulation? Well, I mean, you don't love me this way, and so I'm not gonna love you that way. You, I won't do X until you do Y. That's a contract. That's what you signed up with Verizon for. It's not a covenant. That's, I'll do A, and you do B, and we'll be happy. Covenant is, you won't do B, I'm gonna still do A. That's what this looks like. In marriage, I'll love you if you do X. If you do X, I'll love you this way. Instead, the Bible says, as Christ has loved the church. Remember that? As he has loved us, so we love others. As Christ has loved the church, so we love and lay down our lives for our wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as 
the church has submitted to Christ. It's this beautiful picture about the way that Jesus relates to us and we relate to him in our work. I'll give my all when they start recognizing me. Well, instead, what, what happens to whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, you work as unto the Lord. Why? Because Jesus loved us by fully glorifying his Father, whether or not he was ever recognized by anyone else. How about in our parenting? We don't love, discipline, and nourish them to be liked or respected or to produce a result. We don't need parenting books. We really don't. I'm really convinced of this. Instead, if we would learn how to be better Christians, we would learn how to be better parents. We draw upon the love of Jesus for us and realize, man, I am a pain in the behind to God. So I can be, he's patient with me. How then will I be patient with my own kids? We don't love or discipline or nourish them to be liked or respected or to produce a a certain result, but we look to our father to see how he loves, how he disciplines, and how he nourishes us. We don't need a handbook. We need to remember again and again the gospel of acceptance and forgiveness and the power to do these things according to Christ Jesus. How about our friendships? Not only do we look at our friends through the lens of what they do for me or how they make me feel or how often they make me laugh. Instead, there is a mutual pursuit of being formed into the image of Jesus. And how would that shape your friendships? How about instead of generosity, you don't just give to an institution, a nonprofit, or a church when they do what you really want. I mean, if we're doing that, then you're probably not gonna get challenged. You're probably not gonna get encouraged to actually follow Jesus. Probably not gonna sit down in anyone's living room and be like, so, tell me about this. It's probably not gonna happen. Instead, or if it does happen, that's great, it's a different place than this. But find someone uh, that, you, that does that what you want perfectly and you will no longer grow and you will no longer be challenged. Or in your generosity to any local church, give, you, you may say, I'm gonna give when I pay these debts off. Instead, shall we not look to the spiritual debt that we had with our father that was fully paid in Jesus, that he can, he can pay that off for us in our, even in our disobedience, he can surely pay off anything else. Are we not to be generous because of what the way God has been generous with us? and the free gift of grace through his son. And that is just to mention marriage and work and parenting and friendships and generosity. You could probably think of 15 other areas of life where this changes how you engage. Love God, love neighbors. Yes, how Jesus loved you. And you know now how Jesus has loved you. Does this change how we engage our parenting and our marriages and our work and our neighborhoods? Don't we wanna love them, not just as I love myself, because sometimes I don't love myself very well. I wanna love them like Jesus loved me. And that's a whole different deal. So 35, right, what's at stake? Jesus knows what's at stake. And he says, all the world, all people will know whether or not we belong to Jesus or not based on this kind of love. Jesus knew that if his followers would love like this, the way in which Jesus has loved us, the world would take notice. Has the world taken notice of this? Has the world seen us as Christians and go, man, you got a radical love inside of you? Or when you ask your neighbor, hey man, like, do you know Jesus? And they go, oh, yeah, I go to this church and that church and we do that thing. 
We redefine our relationship with Jesus based on activities and busyness and doing things instead of a love that we are to have because God has loved us. See, the statistics in the American church are screaming at us that we are losing people in droves. Churches are closing their doors. Even as another sister church of ours, Renaissance Church, opens in historic Richmond, today there are many others that will close throughout the city. Our young people are losing interest because of the smoke and mirrors that we've made youth ministry over the last two or three decades. And so perhaps it's time for us to return to Jesus' most basic understanding of what Christians should be known for. Tapping into this living water of resource, unending riches of grace that he has loved us with so that we might love others. What would your family look like if you loved them like Jesus loved you? Not like they loved you. Because remember, that ain't the standard. That's not the fuel. Well, I'll love you if you do this. What would it look like in your family if you loved your wife, if you loved your husband like Jesus has loved you. You might be thinking right now, I need to know how God has loved me then. Yes, that's why this is so important. It should motivate you again and again to dig into exactly how it is that God has loved you in his son. How would it change your family? How would it change your neighborhood group if you loved like this? How would it change this local body if you loved like Jesus loved you? Wouldn't you quit the gossip and the slander? Wouldn't you quit the judgments? Jesus didn't do that. He came, he sat next to Peter and goes, I know you mean well, Pete, because it's coming next, right? I'll never go anywhere, I'll die for you. Jesus, that's like the next verse. And Jesus is gonna go, bro, I know you mean well, but it ain't gonna end well. And before, in Mark 8, when, G when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. This has been revealed to you by the Father. And says, yeah, man, I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus is going, well, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified, but before that, I'm gonna die. The Son of Man will suffer, die. And Peter goes, over my dead body. And Jesus goes, Satan, get behind me. That's what a friend does. When you have the things of, of man in mind instead of the things of God in mind, you're, you're, you're valiant. Isn't that what Jesus, how Jesus loved us? Isn't that how Jesus loved his best friend, one of his best friends? Pete called him Satan right to his face. I don't know about you. I need friends like that. I need friends like that to remind me again and again, man, that you got the things of you in mind. Your, your history's talking here, bro. Your wounds are talking here, bro. This isn't the gospel. Yes, I hate you for that, but yes. We need those kinds of friendships. What would your neighborhood group look like? What would your church look like? What would your neighborhood, what would your workplace, what would the network that God sent you look like if you loved like Jesus loved? Can you see Jesus' vision for us? Can you see his vision for, for you? Can you see how we just have this beautiful reservoir of living water waiting for us to just jump into and bathe like Mr. McDuck's into, into money. You guys remember that? It's back on Disney now, I've heard. Just, just swimming in it. He's just waiting for us to jump in and enjoy what he's given us. And then when we remind ourselves again and again of the goodness of God, the grace of God 
for us, then the impossible becomes possible. That's Jesus' vision for us. I pray that we would latch on to it and that we would respond to that now in Jesus' name. So let's pray. We're gonna sing about the grace of God with an upbeat song, and then we're gonna take communion together. As we're singing, would you go get your kids, bring them back in so they can witness communion. But let's pray first. Father, we love you. We're grateful for, giving, for you to give all these things to us in Christ. Without these things, we're nothing. We're dead. We're objects of wrath. We deserve so much worse. But you've come to give us life. Resurrect our hearts from the dead. And because of that, we're humbled. Oh, are we humbled. So just, out of all the words that I said today, maybe just take a one word or a thought right now as we respond and just think, how has God made something dead in my life to now be alive? Spiritually. I'm not talking circumstantially. I'm talking spiritually. How did he resurrect that? What did he do? What's one place where he purchased us from death to life? What did he forgive us of? We just, just sit in that for a moment and remember the goodness of God specifically as it's been applied to you. And as you're remembering that, Holy Spirit, remind us of the truth. You're the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. Would you lead us into the truth? Would you counsel us, comfort us, cause us to obey, you say? Whatever it is we gotta walk out of here in, if it's not reconciliation with a brother or a sister, if it's not forgiveness of our wife or husband, if it's not parenting our kids because they're not turning out the way that we want them to, if maybe it's to a boss or a neighbor, we just need to walk across the street or across the cubicle and say, hey, I didn't do right by you last week. It's my bad. See, that's the fuel. God's given us something, now we go and love others. Help us bring clarity to these things, Father. By your spirit and in Christ we pray, amen.